I'm Jasmine Moradi, and you are listening to the Power of Audio, Science, and AI. My guest today is my new friend, Lauren McGuire. We were introduced to each other through a common friend, Kevin Perlmutter. They used to work together at the US top global sonic branding studio, Man Made Music in New York City, where Lauren is the president. With soon 10 years at Man Made Music, Lauren is the expert in sonic branding, music for television, and sound design of experiences. She helps marry the science of brand strategy with the art of culture and emotion. At their studio, they create music and sound to solve business challenges. They have produced music for the Super Bowl on NBC, IMAX, CBS News, and the sound of AT&T, City and the American Express. The list goes on. Lauren comes from an advertising background, having worked at the Kaplan-Taylor Group, and she studied Bachelor of Science at Montclair State University. In this episode, Lauren and I are going to discuss the ins and outs of sound branding in the age of COVID-19 and beyond. With that, Lauren, I welcome you and thank you so much for joining us. What a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jazz. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> how are you doing and how is beautiful New York City? Yeah, we are doing just fine, I think, as well as everybody else with, with two young kids, which means some days um, are better than others. But yesterday it was 51 degrees, so it felt like a um, we're, we're almost there. We're getting there. We're getting there to spring and, and a change um, as we remain buried in snow. Um, but we really can't complain. Um, and I, I live in Sleepy Hollow, which is a bit north of the city. So, so we have some space um, and it has its own weird history and, and Halloween to it. So it's a nice place to be if you're going to be home. Lovely. And I'm so excited to do this episode with you because just like me, you work in the magical world of sound and music. And I'm curious to know, what is your earliest memory of music as a child? My earliest memory of music as a child, and it's such an interesting cultural point. So I grew up in a household that was um, very religious, that is no longer very religious. Like, um, you know, my parents have even are less religious than they were at the time. And over time, we've become um, a much more um, liberal and less conservative group. But the power of music from church, mm. um, you really can't, you can't move on from that and it connects in a really interesting way and I still remember you know a couple of years ago I think Carrie one Underwood did How Great Thou Art in a, in a performance and it just like it still struck me in a way that was just like got you know to the to the very bottom of your of your heart so even though your experience changes or your point of views may change the music brings up a feeling of how you felt at the time Hmm. Um, which I think is is really interesting. And I would say that that was one of community. Very interesting. I mean, growing up in Sweden, we always saw, like for me, church music, it's, it's such a powerful and, and empowering uh, thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's lovely. But then from that, then I'm interested to know, what was it that brought you to study science and then ended up working in sound branding industry? 
So sound branding, you know, just to be very um, transparent about it, was a, an, an accident and a right-hand turn on the career path. So I was always interested in biology and, mm -hmm. and marketing. So I did this sort of marketing biology double major. And at the time that didn't really make sense. It was just two things I liked and I thought that I'd use one or the other. And then when I came out, healthcare advertising was a, a thing and a, and a very stable thing in the United States. Um, and so I ended up going into advertising, but really with a spin on healthcare. So my specialty was looking at data and translating um, PIs and, and prescription information into marketing data, or how do you translate this to doctors? How do you translate this to consumers? Speaking to doctors about their experience and figuring out how it was that we were going to talk, to, talk about different treatments. Um, so it's actually been really interesting over the last year because so many of my old colleagues at Pfizer um, have played such a, a role in the news over the last couple of years. So I'm really grateful for that background and an understanding of, of how R&D in medicine happens and, and then the process to get to market. Um, but if you are in advertising at a certain point, you love shoots. And this was when television advertising was very big and I um, did not love shoots. I thought they were really stressful. I, I was not a fan. And so you get to that point in your you know, late 20s where you say, all right, this doesn't feel like it's it for me. What is it? And at just the right point, um, a, a producer friend of mine introduced me to the founder of our company, Joel Beckerman, who is a composer. Um, and he was looking, he had just gotten his first large sonic branding client. And they were asking him about agency language. So what does a, a retainer look like? Um, how do we think about FTEs? And he was a prolific composer in television and entertainment, but this was a new world to him. Mm -hmm. So he was looking for somebody with my background to come in and help him navigate that world. And I said, well, you know, I can do this for a couple of months while I figure out what's next. And then I'll be on to the next thing. I'll get him running. And 10 years later, I'm still here. Um, but I think what I love about this that I didn't realize at the time, and I'm not at my company, I am probably the least musical person, if I'm being totally honest, like everybody around me just, uh, this is their, their deepest passion. And I have a lot of visual arts background. Um, but working with musicians and people who love music and composers has been such a wonderful experience. They're just a really open vulnerable, talented group of people that every day uh, is, is like, I'm not just saying this, every day really is a joy to go to work at this company. Interesting. We have a lot in common. I mean, I studied science and I loved chemistry. So mm -hmm. working today, doing like hypothesis is, is the same thing. And also same as you, uh, I say that, I mean, I don't even know how to sing or play the instrument. Right. Uh, but it's the consumer insight, the, the creation of music and being around people in the entertainment industry. And, and yeah. it, that is the, the, the fun. I love to be under what I call the concert effect. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's true. And you know what's great about the concert effect is that even for our clients, so I was in advertising for a long time and um, even marketing and advertising, which is, is so creative in its nature and you're creating products, um, but people are so used to it. Whereas with our, our branding clients, especially you walk in and you have a music meeting and they just are having a fantastic time. Mm -hmm. And I, the number of times I've heard, this is the best meeting of my week, or I so look forward to this. It's over and over and over. So it just, I think that um, 
I'm very blessed to be in a position where I get to be somebody's best meeting of the week. I did um, like a speech on a smart conversation uh, at an architecture conference in Mexico 2019. Mm -hmm. And there I give examples on sounds that trigger our fight and flight response from the scream of a baby to an alarm clock to the sound of New York's fire trucks, believe it or not. <laughs> so explain for us then what, why sound and what is sound? So I love that you did that. I'm sure that that was a really fun presentation because we have fun with it as well. And a lot of, as I talk about this, a lot of my language is going to go back to your friend and mine, Joe Sauer at, at Sentient Decision Sciences, because we partner on a lot of our work together. And that um, those sounds that you just talked about, those primal sounds, those instinctual sounds were the basis for our emotional scale and how we still rank short form sounds to this day in terms of subconscious emotional appeal. So how do they make you feel? Um, Joel Beckerman, who's the founder of our company, wrote a book called The Sonic Boom, How Sound Transforms the Way You Think, Feel, and Buy. And he talked a lot about the, the, the primal relationship between humans and sound. And if you think about it, it's just a, you can hear farther than you can see. Um, especially, I don't know about you, I'm 5'3". I can definitely <laughs> hear farther than I can see. <laughs> I can't see very far. Um, <laughs> so that idea of how that sound has to bypass the, the and go right to the limbic part of your brain, the emotional fight or flight um, or fawn response part of your brain to for you to be safe, to be fed, for your offspring, offspring to be safe is, is really interesting. And it's one of the reasons why we get such a significant impact from two to three seconds of sound um, at the end of a commercial or at the end of a radio ad, that just that little bit of sound changes what you perceived of the message that came before it. Yeah, I mean, sound, as we say it, we, we can't close, we can close our eyes, but we can't close our ears. And it right. comes from, as I was explaining in my speech, in terms of like, if there, any danger would have happened, the air is always awake to, to, to be tricked and, and, and figure out what to do next. And, and for me, I mean, it made me realize, for example, I have difficulties flying and I, it's hard for me to fall asleep. And I know it's, I've learned more and more, it's that because my ears are like waiting for, to hear like an alarm or something happening that makes me like, I can't relax. Mm -hmm. And another mm -hmm. thing is, uh, I actually grew up in Iran during the Iraq and Iran war. And even today, I have difficulties with the sound of fireworks. And also when I was in London, uh, before uh, Prince William was getting married, they were going to have these like flights. You could go to the Buckingham Palace. And I was just like, uh, uh, I don't like those sounds. And it must be then that when I was young, I was exposed to those sounds that even today that uh, I can't handle it. It gives me stress. Yeah, it translates as danger. And um, there's two points I wanted that are interesting. Something else you and I have in common is fear of fireworks for very different reasons. And uh, that experience is so um, deep. And I want to take a, a moment to honor that as well and what you went through as a child and that mm -hmm. and um, how childhood uh, trauma can impact you moving forward. 
differently, I was hit by a firework. Mm. So I also hate the sound of fireworks. Um, good instinctual lesson that that stop, drop and roll thing kicks in right away um, when you are actually on fire. But I have a similar sort of reaction to that, although that happened in my early 20s. And what's really interesting about the pandemic and you know, one of the a side effect of data, and we're gonna talk about this a little bit about brands and data in the pandemic, but I shared with you that um, the highest tested sound on our scale as of 2017 was baby laughter. And it always tested way above everything else. And we can understand all the primal reasons that from an emotional appeal perspective, baby laughter is very appealing to humans because it means health, it means um, the continuation of the species, it, it means happiness. Um, for the first time in the pandemic, the score of baby laughter came down and we were, we, we kind of accidentally discovered that. And we're like, Oh, that's stressful. Like people are just in a different place right now where the amount of time that they are spending with their families and particularly with their children has a different, has a different meaning to it. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the, the lowest tested uh, sound we've ever tested is a pain scream. And that stayed exactly where it's supposed to be, all the way down at the bottom. <laughs> um, so it's it's not all darkness, but we look forward to continuing to track that and see if as um, society moves forward from this, does that change? Do we do we go back to a place of of loving the sound of baby laughter more than more than the sound of American Express, which tested yeah yeah so. it's in interesting because it's very much context related and what's happening in now the situation we are in in, in right now and it's also then we're going to talk about that for, but for brands to understand that the sound they choose the, the first seconds or with that visual whatever they're trying to communicate it will stay more one way or another but let's move on. So with this knowledge, I would like to share a quote from the book Hit Brands, How Music Builds Value for the World's Smartest Brands. It's funny how music works because music happens in the end when companies have exhausted all their money on location, products and visual design. All this adds up to music being random and last minute. When it comes to music, brands want that perfect track but want to pay the cost of a Skoda instead of a Ferrari. <laughs> so Lauren, how true is in this statement? How many times haven't we heard it? And what are you guys at Man Man Music doing to, to increase the value of audio branding? Yeah, so um, story of my life. And I, I, when, you, when, when you read that quote, um, you know, I, have to, I have to laugh a bit because I think it is something that we all talk about. And what's funny is clients are aware of it as well. You know, they talk about it, they, they realize <laughs> exactly. it. I think it's, the world has changed over the last couple of years. And I, I think that has to do with the, the rise of, um, of podcasting, the rise of streaming audio services, um, how those media channels from a cost perspective at, um, versus television and how linear television is changing so much and that television advertising has a, a different um, value and a different media buying plan. We, I think this is shifting and clients are now really understanding how important a sonic strategy is. Um, partially that also has to do with digital experiences. 
and how prolific they're becoming. So the fact that now you need to think so hard about how a digital experience sounds, um, ADA guidelines, designing in a way that is intuitive and works for people with um, disabilities has been so critical as well. So I think we're getting there. And I think it's becoming a point where that's not always the case. When it comes to actual music, I agree. And you know, there's something so powerful about the song that everybody loves and knows mm -hmm. in terms of how does that hit your brain? There's already familiarities. Uh, data has shown that you're more open to the message if you, if you have that familiar sound to it. But familiar, like really big hits um, from current times or past times, cost money and do cost and should cost money because they are borrowing on the equity of what the artist and the sound created and affecting your perception of the message in a very real way. So um, I think that these are conversations that we need to continue to have. It goes to um, the value of, of intellectual property um, and, and how do you value that interaction? And people need to realize that you're not purchasing a song or a track. There is a lot of effect that comes with that song and track that somebody worked very hard to create. So you are purchasing that effect as well. Yeah, I feel you, I got goosebumps because this is exactly what I say. Even if I'm not a producer or, or creator myself, I worked in the event industry for many times and a lot of people were saying, even my sister, but that is not a job. And it relates, I relate very much to artists then that a lot of people say, oh, but you should work for free. It's not a job, it's just a performance. And when I, when I used to work in like in-store music research, then I would tell, for example, restaurant owners, I said, oh, well, okay, but let's say I come into the restaurant, I have a meal, and then I just walk and go like, oh, I will call the police on you. Yeah, but you're using somebody's work for free. The music you're playing is somebody has created it. But unfortunately, radio and all these free platforms have made it just like available. So they're not thinking about the hard work that it's behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, I think I tend to have this conversation a lot as well. Um, my accountability partner for, for Man Made Music, her name is Ida Merriam uh, Davis uh, from Decolonized Design, frequently talk about the um, intellectual property of, of women and specifically women of color mm -hmm. and how it's so critical to say like, you know, my intellectual property, including music, sound, and creation is incredibly valuable. And for man-made, when we get to that sonic brand, that theme or, or that logo or, or that suite of sounds, we're looking to create something that's going to last 10 years before it needs to evolve. Mm. But the attribution and the recall should still be there from a, a melodic perspective, from a textual perspective, whatever it is that we're using to, to, to create what it is that we're creating. So it's not about two to three seconds of sound, it's about a major piece of brand IP that should last decades. Um, and so, you know, when we have conversations about costs, I think I've really had to work hard to um, talk to people about like, what is the value that we're looking to bring? And if you want to put something at the end of a campaign that's gonna run for 13 weeks, maybe we're not the best choice because at the end of the day, like our goal is to create something that's really going to last. Yeah, and, and just choosing music or a sound 
you know, just to have it, then it's better not to have it. Because if you don't choose the perfect one that fits and intervene with your visual, then you're telling the wrong, you know, story of what you want to communicate. And it is obvious that sound can make or break an experience if they don't strategically intervene the sound with the visuals. So I want to know examples where you have clearly seen the sound breaking the brand experience. So it's, you know, it's interesting that you asked this question. And I think that I had, I'm sure there's been, you know, commercials or experiences over time. And especially I would say like um, retail is sometimes difficult. Like retail is one of those places that you walk in and you're just like, oh, this is, this does not work. And um, when we've done work with fast, casual dining restaurants, there's a lot going on. You know, we've done audits across the country and you can go into one market where they are playing um, country music and then another market where they are playing uh, hip hop music. And it's just because the employees are, are putting on what it is that they like. And what's really interesting about that is honestly, my, my perspective on that has changed a bit when it comes to environments. I don't um, we actually now work hard to bring employees into the conversation, but it's not so much what would you listen to in your free time, but what does working here mean to you? What does this brand do really well? And what would you want to hear to create a sense of community for your brand in your community? Because a lot of these locations are local. So how do you make it a place where does brands meet community in the middle, as opposed to being, you know, brand down, brand down, brand down? Um, which I think works for, for certain brands, um, but most of them, and especially fast casual dining, you really want to be working community up and brand down at the at the same time. But there's been some doozies. I think also the, the technology is getting much better. I remember an audit only four or five years ago where somebody was still playing Christmas music in March, and it was because they hadn't gotten the last the latest Muzak CD, you know, when, when people were still using CDs. Um, so that's what stood out. But another... I think another worthy mention in this moment is brands were getting a lot of flack for the music they were using um, in April, May, June, um, when most of the world was just getting, March, April, May, June, when most of the world was just getting into the, into the pandemic. And, um, you know, everyone's like, why do I keep having to hear this single note piano over and over in these tracks? Now, here's the thing that may not have always felt authentic to the brand. But it, the brands that did feel authentic too, as in their mission was on point, it was the smartest way to go. Because in our research, we saw that if there was a sound that was so cognitively dissonant from your current experience or state of mind, you were like, oh, like these people are out of touch. They do, they do not know what I'm dealing with right now. <laughs> so, you know, at the end of the day, how do we level up that, that learning? Hmm. It's the important importance of building a brand from empathy from the beginning so that you can flex accordingly based on what's going out in the world. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel foreign that you have that single note of piano that says, we understand you and we hear you and we know you're going through it right now. Um, so really that's a, a brand strategy and positioning learning on top of a, a music learning. Yeah. I, I love when you say involving the staff, because I think, uh, 
a lot of people forget about that because the staff, you know, they have to live under that, you know, roof, that sound day in and day out. And that's why they're somehow get like to start choosing their own songs because they want it affects their daily life but that's i have also discussed in terms of like you can involve them you can even hire people depending on what kind of music they like you can also be very like communicate with that this is the sound of the brand so it becomes also ex uh, accepted and i liked what the local idea because it's the same thing when you're working in like events and clubs then you know depending if you go to the east or the south or the west you know you you know what kind of music you will get and i think that brands could also uh, customize it around that and also now with the whole um, you know artists having challenges like invite them the local artists and and make people feel more the community feeling around it so i absolutely love it yeah a sense of belonging is really important and i think you know one of the things that i try to talk about is at times we've heard this language family friendly, hmm. you know, managed it has to be family friendly. And I, I've come to the realization that, that that's a bit um, white coded for white acceptable music. Hmm. Um, there is family friendly music in every culture, yes. um, you know, in, in, in every sort of, of musical genre. So it's about understanding what does that community want to be welcomed into and what fosters a sense of belonging for them locally. And I think that with a lot of those sorts of environments, especially if you have um, franchisees, you can speak to that message. And that's what they want is traffic. So it, it's all important. And at the end of the day, the number one, especially in, in fast casual dining, if you're walking into a restaurant and walking back out, what is the thing that actually has the biggest effect on your experience? And we never ask about the music. So how was the music in that store? It was, how was your experience? Hmm. Partially that is about your interaction with the staff. And so how do we support the staff in creating meaningful connections throughout their day? Uh, how do we lighten their load? How do we create a mood for them? How do we make their feel, uh, community feel like they belong in that space? Yeah, very interesting. And now let's move on to sound branding in the age of COVID-19. The pandemic has forever changed the way we think and behave and feel. And in your colleague's article, Sound in the Age of COVID-19, which can be found on Manmade Music website, Amy Crawford writes something very interesting. With the uncertainty and disruption this pandemic brought to the lives of people all over the world, how we connect and the tone of that connection needs to evolve and the soundtracks to ads and marketing efforts need to evolve as well. No matter how great the creative may be, if the sound is wrong, brands would literally come across tone deaf, insensitive and out of touch. So based on an article, walk us through the importance of brands to adopt to this change to stay relevant and connected to the new now. Yeah, I think it's all about creating something that is based from a flexible foundation, um, a flexible foundation that's going to continue, continue to deliver on what you need to deliver, but um, you're able to, to move very quickly. And we'll talk about some brands who did it really seamlessly. And I think that you, you, know, you tend to see brands who are experts in, in quick transformation. Um, and some of those, you know, uh, McDonald's, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about 
Um, I thought that um, music, at least in the, the US that Facebook put out during that time was very smart. They used them under pressure, um, but it had an interesting tonality to it. And it was about connection. Um, again, building from a foundation that your brand has worked hard to own. So how is it that your brand can communicate empathy and it doesn't feel like it's outside of, of the authenticity of your brand? And I think people, you know, you can hear from folks who say, oh, well, that's not the kind of brand that we are, but any type of brand can be that brand. And, you know, one of the companies that I, I've spent a lot of time uh, reading about recently is, is Vans. And they're a shoe company and a shoe company that has, that's very based in music, but they work so hard to be purpose-driven that when they had to turn and their messaging turned, it, it felt 100% authentic to who they were as a brand and a company. So, you know, like I tend to do, I don't, I don't wanna make it about the music first. I wanna make it about the sort of purpose-driven brand that you're building and building a purpose-driven brand allows you to be flexible and move into music and messaging and an overall experience that people will be like, yeah, they're, they're not full of it. And you guys, you got the opportunity uh, to actually do a study. So in October last year, uh, Mame Music released uh, a very interesting study, which you guys did together with the research company Sentient Decision Science. And here you investigated whether the current culture shifts in the US due to COVID-19 impacted how brands are perceived. You sought to determine whether brand sonic signature are helping or hindering that perception. Uh, so I'm excited having you share this with us. So please share the methodology and the findings. Again, like so much of this conversation, it was an accident that we did this during COVID. We planned it in, in Q1. We said we're going to field it in Q2. And by the time we got to Q2, it was a different world. Um, it fielded the, the second week in June and how important Important, that moment is in the, the results was something that was really, it wasn't lost on us, but it was a bit of an accident to say, oh, wow, this is really, this is really changing the, the curve of results that we've, we've seen in the past. Um, the methodology, um, you know, we've worked with Sentient for some time and what we love about them is it, uh, their methodology levels up to our um, intention, which is it's never about the sound of music. So we, we don't want to be, be too precious about the sound and music. It's about the experience. It's about the message. It's about whatever the thing is that's holding the sound and music. So if we're touching, testing a digital app, we don't ask about the uh, music in the app or the sound in the app. We test the app without sound and with sound. And the goal is to move scores like how easy was it to use? How enjoyable was the experience? Would you recommend it to somebody else? so that with sound, those scores move. Um, because when you ask people about sound and music, and I'm sure you've had this experience, Jasmine, sometimes you can get really odd responses that are not about what you actually, what, <laughs> what a brand cares about. Like, well, I was a drummer in high school, so I really like something that's more percussive. And you're like, oh, it, it. The subjective um, comes out. The subjective comes out. The subjective the comes, comes out. out, yeah. Correct, and you know, Personally, I think that there's something people really, um, we tap into a, a weird center of ego where, where some people want to appear cool and music like feels like a coolness test. Um, and like, I can just, like, I am the least cool person ever. 
Um, so I really try to, 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 you know, for, for clients, a lot of what I do is say like, there is no wrong answer here. There's no, this isn't a music test. It is not um, a coolness test. There's, we need to understand how this makes you feel. And that's what it is that we're, we're trying to get to. So the methodology does just that. And we're looking to test um, the subconscious emotional appeal. So on a gamified mobile or computer app, how appealing was the sound? And that is based on um, how quickly you choose answers um, and, and cognitive dissonance that's created in your brain that affects the speed or correctness of your answers, um, as well as attributes and how this sound and the logo relate to the attribute. And then at the very end, we ask about the sound itself. So what was really interesting is in that moment, which is again, the second week of June, which I think is really important, brands closely tied to recovery or our societal idea of recovery um, had more to gain from Sonic branding. So we looked at 16 brands who use Sonic logos as, alongside visual logos and only three brands in that moment where Sonic identity provided a significant lift in trust were Southwest Airlines, and that's that clap, clap, ding, which is very um, reminder of travel, a reminder of airline travel, that thing that we were like, oh, when are we going to get there again? Abbott Healthcare, you know, a company that is based on health and bringing people forward, the, the piano and their melody and tonality really is based in this idea of empathy and science and the bringing together of those two things. And ZipRecruiter, this company where it's all about like getting back to work in that moment where like, I've lost a job. Am I going to lose a job? Sound helps support those brands um, where we were in terms of society. And these were a little bit different than scores that we've seen in the past. Um, McDonald's itself, and, and here's what's really interesting about McDonald's. And I, I say to them, like I, I pointed to them as a brand that moves quickly and was very flexible because we tested the original Sonic logo and it had um, a significantly lower emotional appeal versus the visual logo unknown. And that's that classic um, instrumental ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At the same time we were doing the study, they swapped out their advertising and they had a voice that very gently said ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And it, that, was like, it was like, oh, they're already on it. Like they know that that old perky instrumental version isn't going to work for them. And from my perspective, they made the, the perfect change in that moment. Um, and so it, it was just really interesting to see, but a brand who can move quickly, who has been using Sonic for a long time in ways that move their brand forward, that they were all over it. Um, is, is that the, because they start understanding that there's a lot of more like, touch points coming out or that became too old? What, I mean, if you- I think it just... was that tonally, it was tonally that track. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of cultural significance behind it and how we've always heard it and how it's always been extremely upbeat in that moment that you were like, you know, McDonald's, like, let's go, you know, always like very optimistic in terms of its messaging. And they made a quick turn to still be messaging McDonald's, but in a tone that was a bit more grounded for the moment, a bit more neutral, but done in a really quirky and clever way where it still stood out. It didn't feel inappropriate, um, but it wasn't the old that was that was testing so poorly when we married it up to, to a visual logo. Interesting. Um, so, you know, I think it's interesting how many of the, the Sonic and visual logo lockup fell further into a negative territory of 97.8. 
And there was a neutral or negative impact on scores like high quality, innovative, on my side, trustworthy and unique. Um, and even weirdly enough, the attribution of this town fell, which was such an interesting, like, you know, this is not different than it was before, but I think it was so cognitively dissonant for people in that moment that they were like, I can't think about this old life I used to live when McDonald's was a normal place to be in. Um, like I said, we tested because of the timing of it, we tested the, the really classic logo and they made a, a move in that moment. And I really applaud them for it um, because I think we were seeing the effects of what could have been if they hadn't moved so quickly. Uh, okay, so let me go on to the next one. And you know, I think that this is the one that got a lot of attention and it's really, Netflix is such an interesting sound. Um, in my conversations, qualitatively, I, can, I feel like working with creatives, I feel like it's very divisive. Like I hear people be like, I love it. And then every once in a while I hear somebody who's like, I really hate it, which is so interesting. Um, and it definitively fell in the second week of June than it had tested before. Now, what's interesting is consciously, it was the third most preferred sound overall. So people are like, it's Netflix, I like it. I'm sitting there, you know, like I know what it means, I'm in my house a lot. But the Sonic logo had a lower emotional appeal than the visual logo alone. So when you put up a visual of Netflix, people were like 114.5, which is a very high score. You married it to that very dark dun dun and the score overall uh, dropped. What was interesting is that some positive attributes did go up versus the visual alone. So high quality. Well, guess what? We're spending a lot of time with Netflix and I think people are probably discovering in that yeah. moment and the dun dun does add some of that theatrical <laughs> uh, resonance to it trustworthy, they know what they're going to get and that they're going to get quality content. And this is very similar to what we saw in with HBO in the past and unique. So um, when you tested those attributes with Sonic, they did go up, um, but the, the overall score went down. And there is a, a 3% increase in recall, which is pretty significant um, versus the N only. So it's interesting that people, I would have thought the N would have tested very strongly as having high uh, ink, but adding the sound does help them with recall. Wow. And it is high at 48.5. Yeah. And I'm not going to ask you then. So what do you, when you hear the Netflix uh, <laughs> sound, sound. What, makes, um, what does it make you feel? Because I have an answer to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do think it's very dark. I would say that I'm neutral to it. I like this story behind it. And um, I think that that is when, um, which I feel, you know, Netflix obviously doesn't talk about, but there's a, a scene at the end of House of Cards where Kevin Spacey banged on the desk and it was the last scene of, of the first season of House of Cards and he bangs on the desk and they took that sound and moved that forward into this, sonic identity now okay what people are problematic unfortunately so they're not going to talk about that but for me having a little story behind why was this representative of your brand and the idea that it was like it was their first tentpole show that was hugely specific and um are hugely successful and started to to build that brand and that empire i like that piece of it interesting what about you jess well, for me, it's interesting because it, in terms of like when I hear it, it's normally I watch Netflix either during breaks when I work or in the evening. So for me, it's a sound of comfort that mm -hmm. now I can take the time to relax from my work. 
now mm -hmm. I can watch something that I can enjoy. Like there's an excitement coming to me. And for me, that means a lot because I love working, but I need to also learn to uh, rewind. <laughs> so that sound gives me of this is the moment that you can get the chance to relax. Right. It's tied to a behavior. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So it's comfort. <laughs> mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. And home and home. And home. Exactly. And I think that maybe that's part of it is at that moment, how... Um, I don't think the visual end makes you think of home. I think the sound does. Yes. And in that moment, how did we feel about home? Hmm. I, I don't think we were 100% sure. At least here in the US, we were in our, you know, going into our third month of lockdown with no end in sight. Yeah. Um, I do think it's important to point out like some of the things that we found that were very inspiring for us, the Alzheimer's Association, which is a sonic logo that we did some time ago. Um, Let's again talk about building brands with purpose and that purpose then being flexible to any situation or environment. The Alzheimer's Association obviously built their brand with high, high empathy, a high, high note on, on understanding and science. And that's what that logo conveyed. So in this moment, and it's never tested this high before, but it was the second most preferred sound overall versus the visual logo alone. It had significantly higher emotional appeal. So think about, you see the Alzheimer's Association logo and it says Alzheimer's Association. And I think you can't help, you know they do good things, but your brain is like Alzheimer's. And so you hold it, you hear those notes of uplift and empathy. And it's like, oh no, it's the Alzheimer's Association. Like they are working to help, they are working to overcome. So it's interesting the, the, the changes in perception that happen there. And that's more of the standard that we see across brands. I think in this very odd moment, Alzheimer's had a, an additional lift from that. And then in terms of the, the logo lockup, the Sonic and logo lockup versus the visual logo alone, uh, higher quality, more innovative, more trustworthy, more unique than just the logo alone. And again, it's just, it's bringing emotion to the brand in a way that you don't get from visuals alone and an increase of recall of 9%, which is quite significant. It is. And, and out of the study, what, what learnings would you then give to other brands? The learnings from the study, I, I think we were surprised. I think that there, I still need to understand the effects of things like baby laughter on those naturally occurring sounds that we accidentally test and how under, and understand how they affect the psyche. But the number one learning for brands is building for flexibility, working um, with a construction that can move and retain attribution and recall while still moving. And this sort of bigger loftier goal, which I think should be a goal of everyone of building, building with purpose for, mm -hmm. for humans and people so that when you need to move quickly, um, that message doesn't feel inauthentic. And, and regarding the, the, the baby laughter, were you able of like asking them why, or was it just the one? No, yeah. because it was such a surprise. We didn't have a qualitative sell on baby laughter. We just got the scores and we're like, what happened to baby laughter? This tank. <laughs> um, so, you know, of course we, we we're doing this study yearly. So again, the second week of June where the, we're going to be in a very different place than we were last June. We hope, and that, you know, at least that's what um, it looks like at this point that we, we could have like a pretty good summer, maybe a dip in the fall again, but it'll be interesting to see how these scores moved and changed. And then again in 2022. So I think that this is just a rolling point of learning that we're going to have to keep continue looking because it's, again, it's not about the sound. It's kind of about human experience in mm -hmm. these moments and mm -hmm. how it changes the smallest moments in our relationships to brands and messaging. Mm -hmm. um, what are your predictions? Do you have any 
I, I, of what's going to come out. Yeah, um, this is an interesting thing to say. I think it's going to be partially dependent on what the weather is like by June, because I do think that the from a, um, a freedom perspective and how people feel that they can like reconnect to people and they're reconnecting to things. I think a lot of it is going to be June's a little early, you know, July. I think that we would be in that place where people are getting together outdoors. There's more of a sense of community than there was last summer as the vaccines are rolling out. Um, I hope that baby laughter will be back up in terms of the score. And it'll be interesting to see how the other brands rank and follow suit. But if I'm being honest, my most interesting point is how are people going to feel about, about baby laughter? Oh, I'm excited to, to hear it once it's ready. <laughs> yeah. So what I love about your study and your work that you guys do together with Sentence Decision Science is that it's based of the subconscious mind. And you and I and neuroscientists around the world know that subconscious response proves a more accurate response than a conscious response when it comes to capturing the true perception and emotions of sound and music. So I want us to discuss the importance for brands to understand the value to start investing time and money in measuring consumer subconscious mind. Yeah, um, I, I think it's really critical. As I said, I don't trust any studies that say, what do you think of the sound? Like I just don't, and I have trouble telling clients to trust it. It's a nice response. You get the sort of like, this is highly offensive or I hate it and that's fine. But does it mean that you don't remember the spot? Does it remember, do you now remember the spot and you're like, I hated that sound, you know, but I'm gonna go and purchase that thing because now I have it in my mind. Um, so I think that it is, you know, especially as now brands come to us and brands want to be, you know, they don't want to be um, safe. They want to be disruptive. Hmm. So disruptive doesn't always test well consciously, you know, it's, it's just true. It, but does it test well subconsciously? Does it come through as unique? Is there, a, is there an authenticity there that you don't get to when you're asking somebody how they feel about it? Um, I think what's important to remember about sound, and I've, I've said this before, I'll say it again, this message, because I think you have to say things three times before people hear you. It is not about the sound, it's about the experience. So the only way that we understand the experience overall is to not ask about the sound. Just change it, A, B, that from a methodology perspective, and my goal is not to make a nice sound, it's to move the entire experience forward to have there be added attribution, added recall in, in 18 to 24 months, to have it connect emotionally more, to have you be more likely to, um, to purchase or tell a friend about this um, product, material, digital app, whatever it may be. So the, the outcomes that I'm really looking for, I can only get to with subconscious response. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting because our in-store music research that we did uh, at a fast food restaurant, we, we, we did exactly the same. So we had people standing outside the restaurant after they had experience mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. to ask them questions. And then, as you say, we, we ask about the overall restaurant experience where music was just one of the questions in the middle. Yeah. And by having them being outside the restaurant is that we didn't want them once we hit that question we didn't want them to be like oh wait let me think 
Um, and out of the results where we had 2000 uh, customer responses that actually when it wasn't playing any music in the restaurant, people were saying yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, mm -hmm. so it's, yeah. It's, it's super important. And also there, there are like neuroscience marketing, like advertising uh, films where they ask uh, the conscience questions, right? Do, do you like it? Do you not like it? And I think it's, it comes also with our culture. Like the language is also very restricted. We don't know maybe what words to use to express feelings. So it's not that we don't know or don't want to say the truth. Maybe we can't express us like that. Um, and, and, and therefore, I, I, I say like, do both. But definitely mm -hmm. don't just do the, the, the conscious one. Correct. And that's always what we do. There's a piece at the end that's always about the, the conscious response. But I think you make a great point. It's never, do you like it or do you not like it? Sometimes you need to say, how does this make you feel? How did yeah. this music, how does this music make you feel? And I think you're right that some people are like a little uncomfortable with that, but it is universal mm. that music gets to emotion and people, even the people who are most uncomfortable with their feelings can usually say it's upbeat. It, it makes me happy. Like I'm tapping my toes, those sort of things. Um, they may not delve too deeply into their emotional well. Um, but at the end of the day, you're looking for response, you know, mm -hmm. for, for a brand. Yeah. And there's always an example that I love, and I'm sure you probably have seen it, but it's the, uh, it's the Cheetos com uh, commercial that they did neuroscience on. Have you have you heard of mm -hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you want to explain it? Or should I explain? No. It? Go ahead. Go ahead. You're you're. I think you're more familiar with it than I am, but I have <laughs> um, heard of it um, through clients of ours. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's a commercial they want to test before they go out, and they do like a focus group. So in the commercial, is a woman coming into like a laundry uh, room in the U.S. probably. And then it's her time, but the, the lady uh, before her, she hasn't still finished, so she gets really upset. And then suddenly you see the Cheetos guy like pointing out the, the first lady's like laundry that is white and he goes, that's hers. And then the commercial ends. And then when they do the, <laughs> the, the conscience focus group or, or questionnaires, then they get responsive like yeah but that's not nice to do and you know like would you would do that no of course not you know and and it's not like they're lying it's just our social behavior what we've learned to say but when they did the the neuroscience on their brains the area where you get excited or probably the feeling of that yeah i would have done the same or that's so cool it lit up and mm -hmm. this is where i always say then that our brain you can't you can lie but your brain can't lie right <laughs> right when you right. get excited or something happens in your body you can hide it but if you yes. scan it <laughs> yeah yeah and i think it's you you know one of the things i'm so excited about like as i as i continue to work with sentient is the fact that they've made that ability of neuroscience insight available at a quantitative scale um and through mobile and computer which you know, when I started in this business was not, it was all biometric and that you were only going to get to a certain number of people in that way, especially for music at the time, nobody was going to be spending that kind of money on a, on a study for music only. So um, it's, it is really interesting. And I think societal norms play a really important role in how we think about sound and music.
Mm. And, and you also worked with sound design experiences in the stores, as you said, like me. And looking at what happened in the world have caused a lot of problems for stores. Uh, what's your belief of the future of retail and shopping? And how yeah. can in-store music help them during the new now? Yeah, so um, I, I think that we, you know, you and I both, I think we're in enough in the retail space that so, um, I'm emotionally invested in the return of retail, um, not so much for my business, but for, for the businesses of people around me and, and groups that we work with and, and clients that we have. And I think that that will, will happen. What is, how are we thinking about the role of music and sound? I think that studies are going to have to be done again. Like, I think that we need to test within the first two years of the new normal and that there's going to be a slightly possibly different set of rules that you play by as you try to get people comfortable with spaces again. So, you know, the, the very like sort of simple formulaic of like, if you want to people move quickly through your space, you're going to play fast paced music. Are we adding to discomfort? in that way where actually it's more important that people are adjusting to like being back in these areas and be comfortable mm -hmm. versus moving quickly or spending more money. Um, and so those are the sorts of studies I'm interested in pursuing in, in the new normal. Mm. Um, and, and then how long are those effects going to last? I don't think anybody knows yet. Um, you know, I, I think that we hope it's going to be limited. I would say the other place that we are investing a lot of time and energy is understanding um, contactless payment methodologies. So as these brands, um, uh, you know, you used to go into a store and you'd pick out your things and you'd spend some time. So many more people are doing drive-through pickup mobile pickup, ordering in advance, how do you use sound to create a more connective experience to the brand? Where are we putting in a sound here and there where you might not have heard it before so that you get some amount of emotional connection with that experience because you're missing the whole of interiors. Um, and I do think, you know, we continue to be really interested in payment sounds and how, um, payment is inherently a negative experience. So even if you, if you click on a screen, if you are holding up a phone to a, to a terminal, um, there is a subconscious emotional response that is negative. Sound can change that from a brand, whether it be from a credit card company, whether it be from a retailer. So how do we continue to explore the power of sound in that moment, that sort of critical moment and say, no, this is rewarding. This is a positive thing. And I think we have more opportunity to do that now as contactless payment and um, mobile pickup and these different technologies are becoming more prevalent. Interesting. So what is waiting around the corner of sound, sonic branding then? And, and I'm interested to know your thoughts then around like voice technology, audio UX, even like 3D audio sound that I was you know, heard about it yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, so spatialized sound is a really interesting area for us. I can tell you that we are um, continuing to research and be interested in um, the effects of spatialized audio in audio advertising mediums. So how do you, um, you know, I think for, for a long time, you, you had your question about clients not investing in sound and music. There's a similar perception about radio advertising, um, terrestrial radio advertising, but now with so many media dollars going into streaming radio and terrestrial radio and podcasting, how do we create ads for that medium? Not take a television advertise it and, and have you know somebody quickly rewrite it right, so that it works it in radio. Mm. Right, how do you make that more impactful? Um, uh, from a 
technology perspective, um, you know, uh, again, Aida at Decolonize Design, we talk a lot about the, the curb effect and designing for um, people who are generally not centered in experience. So designing for marginalized people, um, looking for folks with um, who are um, other abled and how do we design through haptic and sound and how do we design sound in a way that tests very intuitively in terms of what the technology is trying to say, say to them in case there are any sort of um, uh, visual impairment. How do we design sound that uh, is really intuitive for everyone to use and the idea the curb effect that you um, you know, you made those cuts in the curb for, for people who use wheelchairs, but it makes it easier for people with baby strollers, people who have walking impairments, for people with toddlers. Like if you design for those people, it will move us all forward in ways that we can't see yet. And I would say the last thing is we, we talk about voice technologies. We've always talked about voice versus sound. People tend to want to use voice technologies and have it be like voice, voice, voice. So far, humans don't love that. We would much rather have a short sound that tells us, yes, I just did that thing, then have a voice telling us that I just did that thing. I think me personally, for purpose-driven companies, understanding how implicit bias currently affects voice and continues to affect voice and, and voice culture. And I'm not interested in under, I'm not interested in um, supporting biases or, or companies acting on those biases. It's more like for purpose-driven companies, what can we figure out? about the role of implicit bias in voice. And that has to do with um, accent, um, you know, gender, um, and all of those questions that go into implicit bias. So that's where, that's where our heads are in terms of research for the year. If we then wrap it up, based on your work experience and findings, what are your best practices that you wanna teach brands when strategically thinking, approaching uh, their sound branding in the new now? But building off of a really strong foundation, um, a really strong strategy, um, and at this time in our culture, a purpose-driven foundation, because uh, music is emotion, and emotion that comes from emotion is going to 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 service um, you better and your your brand better. I think um, we are not at a point in brands where you can think about the last two seconds of advertising and that's it. You know, um, if you want to do that, that's okay. But there's so many more opportunities. There's so many places where sound plays a role in your brand perception. So taking a step back to think holistically about those experience and what sound can drive. Um, thinking forward about your media plan and your media buying plan and where are you going in the future and what part of your brand is going to be most critical to that experience because this is where a lot of the visual to sonic shifting is, is happening. And then I think the last thing that we always really talk about um, is uh, saturation. So once you create something, um, <clears throat> you need to get it out there in a meaningful way. You need for people to, to hear it. You need some amount of consistency, at least in the beginning. And then you have all of the opportunity and permission like a McDonald's whose sonic identity has been around for over a decade at this point to be incredibly flexible in it. Um, I think commitment to uh, consistency and saturation is sometimes very difficult. It requires you bringing a lot of stakeholders on board at the beginning. But that for me is the most interesting, fun part of the process, hearing about different groups and their challenges, whether it's your tech team or your app development team or your retail team and saying, okay, here's how we're going to service this with a really strong strategy. Love it. Love it. And now I want to know, I know 
One is fireworks. So I want to know sounds that evokes positive versus negative, uh, like perception and emotions in you and why? Sure. So negative, let's start with negative because um, I had this experience last night. So I live on the Hudson River um, and we have a lot of big trees. So since moving here, the wind has become uh, instinctively and primal scary. Um, in a way that I didn't experience when I lived in New York City. So it's just been a shift in how my brain works that the wind is really going. I wake up and then I'm pretty much awake. Me and the dog both don't like the wind in this new location where there's a lot of big trees around. Um, and fireworks is definitively is definitively one. In terms of positive sounds, you know, I can say um, I'm very blessed with a four-year-old who loves being tickled. Um, I was not a kid who liked being tickled. And I know now that like, if a kid doesn't like being tickled, you should not tickle them. Um, I have a four-year-old who's like, more, more, more. And I purposefully, I think her particular baby laughter um, just really brings such joy that uh, we can tickle her all day. And both of those I think are very primal safety and health based responses. Um, so the power of that, I think um, on the flip side of wind, we do also have some lovely wind chimes outside that when they're going and the weather in a slow way and the weather is right, um, it evokes that feeling of home and comfort and relaxation you talked about. Oh, lovely. And now we're gonna end with few quick questions. On a scale of one to 10, how important is music in your daily life? Oh, I mean, that's a, that's a nine, I would say. Um, I think for me, from a working out perspective, it's really critical. And from a family bonding perspective, it's really critical. So um, me and the kids, we all love dancing. And so that's a quick group activity that gets everybody. And I hope that they'll remember that time that we spent dancing together. Cause I know I remember the music around my parents' house, um, you know, which was not just religious for the record um, that, uh, the Linda Ronstadt greatest hits album will like always bring a smile to my face from my early eighties childhood, late eighties childhood. Oh, that's um, beautiful. Yeah. And then work, you know, we like get to listen to music all the time at work. And I think it's really important for bonding with our, our crew at Man Made Music. Yeah. Music makes us happy. So what is pumping in your ears, uh, earphones today? Then? So, uh, so interestingly, uh, we are coming at the end of, of Black History Month here in the US. So um, I made a date with my six-year-old to watch Black is King this weekend, but I know how his brain works. And there's like a comfort and familiarity thing that I need to, to breed in order for him to be like, oh, this is familiar. So um, water, um, you know, some of the some of the tracks from Beyonce's Black is King, I've started putting on rotation in the car so that this weekend he'll be like, okay, yes, like I'm already there. I'm familiar and can get engrossed in the the, beautiful visuals of the, you know, the African diaspora. <laughs> and then now we want to know two to three songs that give you the chills. Oh, so one of them is You're No Good by Linda Ronstadt, which I already mentioned. Um, I just, I just love that song. It makes me um, incredibly happy. And I think that that is based in that childhood. I think that, um, you know, I already talked about, so I have to mention again, that Carrie Underwood cover of How Great Thou Art despite having you know moved on from that background or, or theology um, the power in that performance um, was incredibly moving um, and then I think recently so my kid loves blinding lights by the weekend 
Um, and that's like been like the most recent track that he and I both enjoy together. Like he can, he listens to things over and over and over. This is a behavior of, of small children. And that one, I'm like, yeah, okay, do it again. Let's do it again. Yeah, that's fine. So <laughs> I'm going to name those three. And then now sing a little bit, a song that just pops up in your mind right now, like Hamid. Absolutely not. <laughs> and this goes back to, this goes back to when I was very small, I remember singing a church song in the back of the car and my mom, who is a very um, uh, strong, direct woman saying to me, Lori, there are many things you are good at but singing is not one of them. And uh, that memory will always stick with me. So every time, which is frequent at the studio, when we're in the studio, someone says to me, hey, do you mind putting some vocals on? Nope, I am not your girl for vocals. <laughs> hey, you have to break that spell now. I know, I should probably get trained in some way. Oh, it's so be lovely to have you on board and I've learned so much from you. Thank you so much. And then what is next for Mame Music? And if people want to know more about you guys and come in contact with you, uh, what should I do? So um, www.manmademusic.com is our website and we try to keep that updated. The blog is going, it has some recent posts. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Lauren McGuire um, at Man Made Music. This week we are doing a series of discussions with Ida Merriam Davis as we go through Black History Month about um, intellectual property, about um, the ancestors and how critical they are about um, her message of anti-DEI, belonging, dignity, and justice. And you know, on that token of building a foundation of a better company, there are some changes coming for man-made music. And I just um, I can't talk about them in this moment, but look forward to them in the next couple of months as we as we move forward and evolve. I'm excited to invite you back for the next episode where you can talk about all the new things that you've got done. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Jazz. It was great talking to you. Well, that's all for today's episode of The Power of Audio, Science and AI. I'm Jasmine Moradi, your host, and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and support by sharing this content on your social media. This episode is supported by Stockholm Music City.